Welcome to Four Game Changers for Black Entrepreneurs. I'm your host, EJ Mayers, here with Ross D. And we're here to propel black entrepreneurship forward by sharing wisdom from the top down that changes the game from the inside out. Four Game Changers is more than a podcast. It's a community where successful black entrepreneurs and luminaries share their wisdom with our tribe of up-and-coming black entrepreneurs. So if that's you, I'm talking about black entrepreneurs anywhere around the globe. Tune in and show up because this show's for you. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Today on your episode of Four Game Changers, we have Brandon Butler, editor-in-chief of Butter Atlanta. He is an Atlanta native and a Georgia Tech MBA graduate. Um, His company, Butter ATL, is a growing digital movement that represents the best of Atlanta in culture and creativity. Butter ATL thrives on Instagram, especially with his popular Atlanta PDF videos presenting Atlanta hometown success stories. Butter now has grown into a social media behemoth, attracting over 1 million impressions monthly, as well as lucrative partnerships. Crazy thing is that the last time we really sat down and talked, uh, Brandon, I think you had just won a grant from Black Enterprise Magazine for a separate venture. And um, that's crazy. But the thing I admire most about you is how you have been able to blend your unique skill set with the culture here in Atlanta and have created something the whole city can be really proud of. So that's what Four Game Changers is about. Let's get into it. Here it is. Appreciate y'all having me on, man. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show, man. Shoot, man, we're honored, man. We're honored to have you in the building. Oh, man, I, you know, I, I, hey, man, Ross can tell you, man, me and him go way back. So, man, you know, I, how, how far, I, I how far back y'all go? Man, we got some. I remember we, we go back to the iPhone flipping days. Oh, <laughs> oh, not the Razor oh, phones and yeah, we, man, we, was exactly. hustling, we was hustling. We was hustling iPhones back in the day. Oh, man. you talking about iPhone flipping? As in, like, yo, we didn't bought iPhones for the low, and then we just flipped them right. for a bag. That's what we talking. Oh, yeah, buy and sell. You okay, know, that was a whole movement in itself in Atlanta. We'll <laughs> talk worked, about that right? on another episode. <laughs> on another <laughs> episode, right flipping, fo- flipping phones. Yeah, it was insane. That's what's up. So the entrepreneurial bug has been in you for a long time. Like, when did you like first know that man that that was inside of you? Uh, you know, man, I always um, you know, I always, you know, I always like to do stuff. Uh, I didn't know what it was called back then. I, I always, you know, growing up, um, I was the only child. You know what I'm saying? I liked. Uh, hanging out with people, I like doing stuff. I like having my own money, you know. And and for me, it was always about if you want to have your own money, you got to work. So you know, I was always I was lying on job applications, lying on work permits, you know, at the age of like twelve, saying I was fifteen, sixteen, so I could go get a job and get oh, a wow. check or whatever. Um, and you know, like always, just kind of making stuff happen. Again, I didn't know that that was like the entrepreneurial bug. I think when it first kind of hit off. Um, I mean, I can definitely remember like, you know, growing up and like being in class. Like, it's funny. One of my one of my good friends to this day, like he was in like fifth grade with me. And I remember I drew this picture and it was like me and it was just like dollar signs all over the world. It was like, I'm going to be on Skrilla World. And like, even to this day, he still makes fun of me about that. Like, <laughs> he was like you always just want to be surrounded by money. Like, I was yeah. like, yeah. Um, but uh, when I was in high school, I remember I'd say probably the first time I really got kind of entrepreneurial. I was in high school. And um, I had two hustles. Uh, my first hustle was 
Um, I used to sell candy like everybody. Um, you know, I was, I think I was in 10th grade. I had a pretty good candy empire going on. You know, this was the nineties. I was probably making, you know, 40, 50 bucks a day. You know what I'm saying? 10th grader. Um, packs of annihilators and lemon heads. I I had the good stuff, man. I I had had candy bars. You know what I'm saying? I had full size joints. Um, the full size Snickers. <laughs> that's like, what's up super bags, man and like I, i'd have kids in other grades selling candy for me um you know i give them a cut and i always say the funny thing about it is i lost that whole candy empire over a girl oh, um it was this, it was this, it was this girl i was trying to flirt with and i remember i was walking i had my two book bags going to class <laughs> which already looks suspect thinking about it but like i'm uh, <laughs> going to class and this girl I knew, she was like, Brandon, you know, let me get some candy. And I was like, yeah, I got you. You know, I, went, I reached in my book bag. I like I gave her. I remember it was a Snickers bar. I gave her a full size Snickers bar. And like, as soon as I did it, you would have thought that I was selling crack. Like the school administration just like swooped in on me. Oh, it was a sting. Yeah, it was a sting operation, <laughs> man. <laughs> you know, I was like, bro, all I got is candy. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, we had my bag. Oh, my and, gosh. Like, Bro, you would have literally thought I was moving weight in the school. And, like, uh, you know, they were like, I mean, it was just completely against the rules. And this was, this was Redan. This is a public school. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, that was one of my hustles. Um, the next, so I learned from that. My next hustle was I got really cool with the uh, the school administration. I'm not going to say who it was, but I got cool with some folks in the school administration. And basically, if you needed anything in, in high school, you just come see me. Mm-hmm. So, if you were late to class and you needed like a pass, go holler at Brandon. Like I got you. Oh, It'll be ten bucks. Um, you know, so my, so my, he was my the thing, My main thing was uh, the awards programs. So if you didn't make good grades and you wanted to come to the awards program, it's like Brandon. Yo, I need to get into this award program, Bruh, I got you. What kind of award do you want? So you got so, access. So yeah, I would literally, I could get the principal, I could get the principal to sign awards. So I would make up my own awards and I would <laughs> give them to the, to the school. And then, so all the hood dudes would come to the award ceremonies and like the favorite one that we made up, it was called the, Re- the resource conservationist award. <laughs> and what it meant was you never came to class. Hey. So you served resources. <laughs> <laughs> and that'd be like, that was like, I don't know, 25 bucks. So you know you man, that's hilarious, man. You know, back in the day, and I could make sure that your parents could come clap for you at the uh, at the award ceremony. So those were my early entrepreneurial days. Man, I can imagine somebody's mama like, man, I don't know what my baby just won, but <laughs> but but yes, baby, that's my baby. So he never went to class. Like really, an Atlanta thing, man. <laughs> because now you got me thinking. Like in fourth grade. <laughs> I used to mix Kool-Aid packs with sugar and like put the right. little baggies yeah. and you would really think it was something in that bag. And I would just give out the Kool-Aid with the sugar packs and then the ramen noodles. Did you guys used to do the ramen noodles crushed up? We didn't do the ramen noodles. Uh, we definitely country, did the sugar packs. You we would did go the sugar packs. And you get the Kool-Aid packs, you get little plastic bags mm-hmm. and you would mix them up, you yep. know, and you'd have like, and then people, and then everybody's fingers would be different yep. colors and stuff like that. I don't know. Now, now let me speak for all of those that are not from the A, the <laughs> transplants. Like I'm from, I'm from Alabama, Huntsville, and bro, like my house was like literally the path 
to go to like there was a there were two stores on the way to my school like yo like we had the supply <laughs> so we did the same thing with the sugar we did it with the now na- we was taking the big now later packs and busting them down into singles yep. so right. <laughs> like, like we were gonna we gonna milk every dollar that we could out of this pack of now man these starbursts dude i was winning with them winning <laughs> well think so. about it right you can go buy you can go buy uh one packet of Kool Aid for like twenty five cents, mm-hmm. and all I needed was I could get I could break that down into four sacks with some sugar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> so if I could cut it with for anywhere from like fifty cents to a dollar. You know what I mean? Like I'm winning, right. and this is how we used to think back in the day. So it's yep. nothing. It brought you right, man. It's nothing for somebody to come to school with a whole bag for like broken down. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like. uh, uh uh, uh, Kool Aid, and that was before we had the pre mixed Kool Aid. Right. You know, the next one was, oh, it's already mixed. Now, We're this was cats getting like stealing their mama's sugar and making this back in the day. We had our own fund dip. We had fun dip. We had nothing on the sugar. Yeah, we were using that Weilers with the with the with the uh the clear watermelon flavor, so that yeah. your fingers wouldn't be your fingers wouldn't be any type of color. <laughs> it was all it was all on there, man. All on there, man. Yeah. I remember those wow. are the days. Wow. So so I mean you had an entrepreneurial bug early and I mean really I mean if you trace back a lot of the entrepreneurs that have come on the show thus far man that I've talked to you know it's always been something that's in them a desire to you know fill a need and really that's what it was at the time. It was like man like even even though we we're like man we want to make money but in order to do so there was a need that we filled. These kids needed some sugar, <laughs> you know. So here, here we go. Here we go. So uh, fast forward a little bit. Did you go to college here? Yeah, I went to. Uh, so I went to Morehouse for a year. Um, mm-hmm. I hustled up there too. I got some stories about hustling at Morehouse, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I actually, you know, I, I wasn't. That wasn't. I, I, I didn't really feel it, you know. Big picture. I mean, I got some good friends that went, and they graduate. I'm still friends with them to this day. You know what I'm saying? But um. I ended up transferring to Georgia Southern in Statesboro. I always that's one of the best decisions I ever made. Just kind of gave me a completely different perspective on things. Um, and I always say too, I really appreciate, I really enjoyed the college experience. Like mm-hmm. going away to a college town was something that I didn't know that I would enjoy as much as I did. But you got to think about like growing up on the east side, you know, growing up downtown, growing up to Stone Mountain, and then going to Morehouse is just like you're just going downtown. Yeah. And the thing that didn't work for me was, especially as a freshman in the AUC, they give you all these rules. Like, you know, you can't have a car. You can't do this. And remember, I was super independent anyway. Mm -hmm. So it was like I had a car. I had these things. I didn't have this many rules when I was at home. Like, I I didn't want that. Like, I wanted to be an adult. So when I went to Morehouse, it was cool. But um, I ended up my, my best friend at the time and my girlfriend at the time were going to Georgia Southern. And I went down there to visit them and I just like fell in love with it. I was like, this is what I thought college was supposed to be like, you know what I'm saying? And just being in a space where everybody's kind of at the same place in their life, you know, everybody kind of, it's just like its own little ecosystem. And I just felt like when I was at Morehouse, I just felt like I was downtown with a bunch of rules. So, you know, I I, I enjoyed my time there and I got a lot of good friends that went there to this day, but, uh, you know, I'm definitely a Georgia Southern Eagle, man. I always tell everybody the real GSU is in Statesboro. You know? Oh, well, that's that's big talk. That's <laughs> you always go about this, but you know, we'll settle it. I think we play in football now, so <laughs> you know, we'll come see, come see about us. You know, we gonna we got we got everybody. You know, <laughs> okay. So you know, 
take us take us uh, forward a little bit to your 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 first official business, you know, and and what you've run. And I know you've kind of had a hybrid or a dual career, uh, if yeah. you will. So, matter of fact, you know, bring us up to speed there. Yeah, I mean, look, man. I mean, as I you know, as I think back over it, I mean, I've probably tried dozens of things. I mean, I don't know. Entrepreneurship was just that thing that no matter how much I tried not to do it, I just always would end up doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I didn't want to do it, I just would feel like, man, you just got to try something. Like actually last year was the first year that I actually made a promise to myself. And Jan- that was my only New Year's resolution was that I was only going to focus on butter last year. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was like, the, that's how much I get interested in just like lots of other things. And so I, I remember making a promise to myself, like, all right, 2019, only thing I'm working on is butter. I'm not doing no other projects, nothing else. And I turned down a lot of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like, uh, yeah, I mean, going back, you know, I remember, you know, I've, I've done everything from, you know, had, you know, resume writing businesses. I've done web design. Um, probably my first big one was, uh, to Ross's point, I did a thing called, um, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, I had a store called the website shop and it was a chain of brick and mortar web design stores mm, inside um, the mall, this, right? Yeah. It was in the mall. Um, okay. we had one in North Lake. We had one up by the old velvet room. We had one over at Stonecrest. And again, like I was doing web design, web development, you know, this is like 2000, uh, this was actually like 2011, 2012, I think, because really? my daughter was just getting born. And um, I just basically I always knew like web design was a very like referral based business. Like even to this day, if you need a designer or whatever, it's always, hey, who do you know? There's not like a place cousin. to go. My cousin so, design. Yeah, exactly. It's like my cousin designs. I know yeah. what my friend's neighbor might might do it or whatever. And so I just was like, what if we put web design and web development in like high traffic places? And so I actually just basically opened up a, a web design agency uh, inside of a mall and uh, really kind of leveraged the foot traffic and like building brand and kind of getting that stuff going. And through that, we ended up winning uh, the black, uh, black enterprise, like entrepreneurship award. We won the um, elevator pitch competition that year and kind of grew that business. Mm-hmm. And then I left that, I sold that business. Um, and I actually went to go work for the NBA uh, for a couple of years. I was at the head of NBA digital. I was the head of project management for them. Wow. Um, and so that was in the NBA, that was during the lockout season. Um, and that was again, like right around the time my daughter was being born. And like, I always say, like, to your point, I always have kind of had like a dual path of like entrepreneurship and like corporate America. Cause mm-hmm. you know, like I, you know, with, with, it was, I was telling somebody about this the other day, like with my background in tech, I've always just been able to stay very gainfully employed. And mm-hmm. with that excess capital, I've always just kind of like deployed it against, things I want to kind of do. So, mm-hmm. you know, what I've always found is like my ability to do things in the tech space and just being able to get a job or have a career has been able to fund like my entrepreneurial dreams. And what I've always looked for is like, what's that thing that's going to kind of, kind of give me escape velocity. Like I didn't want a side hustle. Yeah. I wanted something to where I could build it up on the side and it kind of overtook the main thing. So. And that's yeah. a major, that's a major key right there, man, for anybody that's watching, that's listening and everything. Uh, just because you have an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial bug, right? You have an idea, you have an idea for a business, or even you have a side hustle doesn't mean you have to quit your main hustle. Uh, it can often fuel <laughs> your growth. Um, and you know that, I mean, that's true, whether it's something in the creative space, that's true, whether it's something, I mean, I know a lot of franchisees, for instance, uh, that can be fully employed and be, uh, an absentee owner 
or can be a semi absentee owner where they only check in, you know, a few hours out of the day as opposed to doing it as their full time job. So, you know, that's that's, that's really major. And the other uh, thing I want to piggyback that he said that was a major key is that in 2019, he concentrated his focus and it became a priority for yeah. him to just focus on one business. And you could tell, I mean, I, I've been knowing you for a long time, but Butter ATL is like literally like everywhere. If you right now, people Google Butter ATL, it's literally like 15 pages on the, <laughs> on the Internet of content. So that's a major key to being able to concentrate your focus uh, two inches wide, a mile deep. And a quick, quick plug at Butter ATL, right? At Butter.ATL at or butter just go to ButterATL.com either way. All right. Make sure you all y'all, y'all lock in, man. If you're in the A, really, if you're anywhere in the states and you want to stay tapped in to the culture, you need to tap into Butter ATL. So, Brandon, the other thing that I want to bring out um, because we have an audience that's looking to always access capital, you're the, one of the only individuals that I know that has won multiple pitch contests. Can you kind of elaborate, like, what makes you successful at winning um, these contests? Yeah. Um, so that's funny. Yeah, I've won. A couple. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I'm like, every time I and, meet you, like, man, I just want another grant. I'm like, dang, bro, like, you just well, won the other one, but this one, okay. Yeah, yeah, I won the Black <laughs> Enterprise one. I think that was like ten. I did one, like, yeah, maybe it was early 2019 or something, or maybe it was 2018. I think that was like 50 grand, and then I won the Georgia Tech when I was in grad school. We won first place for the Georgia Tech startup competition for my capstone project. So. Uh, and I was like the lead on all those teams. Like, yeah, I think when it comes to one, I'm competitive, competitive as hell. Uh, <laughs> and I'm so competitive that I, I don't turn on my competitiveness unless it's time to be competitive because I'm not really good at like turning it off. But <laughs> I mean, like when I, I always tell people when I go to pitch competitions, I, I literally go in it to win. And, you know, I think when you're doing a pitch competition, you have to understand that it's part substance and it's also part style. Um, and so I am very intentional and very strategic whenever I go pitch, you know, when I think about the black enterprise situation, um, you know, one, I'll say, you know, shout out to my parents, all those years of making me do Easter speeches in church, you know, like really kind of helped out, you know, cause again, like a lot of people have never just gotten up in front of a room like that of, of 500 people and just had to talk. Like they get nervous and me, I don't even think about it. I just get up there and just go into my thing. Um, you know, I think, you know, when it comes to pitch competitions, it's really about, like you really got to make sure you got a real problem. Um, you know, I think I'm lucky enough that the businesses that I've won with have all solved like really hard or really interesting problems or really hard problems that people could actually see was a problem. Um, and so again, when you think about the website shop again, like nobody knew where to find a web designer. Great. Here's a brick and mortar place. Um, you know, when you think about, you know, butter Atlanta culture, it's been all over the place. Like, great. Here's a single destination for that. Um, you know, when we were did the, the, the Georgia Tech thing, we built an app that allowed you to make moving. It helped you. It helped make moving easier by you taking your phone and scanning the room with your video camera. And then it built a list of everything that was in your room so you could send it to a moving company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people hate moving. So it made moving. So I, one, the first step is you need to have a real business that solves a real problem. I always say when it comes to problems, there's three kinds of problems. There's vitamins, there's candy and there's painkillers. Mm-hmm. Um you know, vitamins, well, candy, you know, everybody likes candy, right? Like candy, but candy doesn't really, it's like, it doesn't really solve a problem. Like candy's like a video game. Mm-hmm. It only solves the problem of you needing to kill some time or like blow off steam. But again, like 
too much candy. If you eat it, it'll, it'll rot your teeth. If all you do is, you know, do things that don't add value, you know, you're going to feel that, right? Yep. Vitamins are a little bit harder to, um, to you know, actually see the benefits of without actually doing some strategic uh, measuring. So, like, you think about vitamin, right? Like, you go see a doctor. Doctor tells you to do some work. You do the work, and then you come back in six months, and he checks you again. That's kind of how vitamins work. Like, mm-hmm. vitamins add value slowly, but it's hard to kind of understand it until you take a moment back to kind of benchmark it. And then there's painkillers. Like, painkillers solve a real problem. And I think what I've noticed is a lot of people think they have painkillers, and they really have candy. Mm. And, you know, my whole thing is I don't care if if you have vitamins, candy, or painkillers, but you need to be damn sure what you have. You need to be clear about that. And I think that's one of the things is that people go into pitch competitions and they think they're product or their problem is one thing and it's actually something like totally different yeah um that's the first disconnect i mean the other part is you know if you just watch enough shark tank and 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 pay enough attention most pitch competitions ask you the same kind of questions and again just being prepared like what's your average cost of customer acquisition what's your cac you know like with anything there's a language you know whether you're watching financial networks whether you're watching technology whether you're doing pitch competitions and so if you watch enough Shark Tank, for example, you'll hear they really ask the same questions to all the entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about your business, you should probably be thinking about those things. And if you just have answers in your back pocket, you will be prepared more than most other people. Like my goal whenever I do a pitch competition is usually they have a, a, a point where the, the, the judges can ask you questions. Mm-hmm. If I can get the judges to like, and if you watch them, the judges are usually asking people the same questions and people just aren't prepared. And I know that I've done good where when I when I when I'm done, the judges, the judges usually either don't have any questions. Mm-hmm. They'll either say, wow, that was the, you answered all your questions in the presentation and they'll want to talk to you more about your business. They don't they don't use the question time to address things that you did not answer. They mm-hmm. use the question time to learn more about you as a you. business owner. And that's when you know you're on the right path. So, you know, if you kind of do your homework up front and you really make sure all that stuff is answered in your presentation, you know, you'll see that when it comes on the flip side, because most people won't like, and again, I'd say this all the time, like most people won't do it. Mm-hmm. You have to assume that just most people won't do it. And if you know that 98% of the people aren't going to do that. Okay, cool. I'm only competing against 2% of the people right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and those 2% of the people, do they actually really have a good idea do they really, are they, is their idea, like, that's what it really comes down to. But you see that, like, most people just don't have all this other stuff, and that's where they fail at is by not having the basic information down, not, so nobody ever gets to their idea. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Mm. Man, drop the bomb on the sound effect. <laughs> that's really, really, really powerful stuff. I mean, there's so much to be broken down out of that, but man, does your business solve a real need? You know, really does it. So let's pivot for a second. So... Now that you're doing Butter ATL, you created a system within social media where basically content is your greatest asset. But, I mean, you have literally mastered the creation of content. Like, I don't want you to give too much because I know it's a competitive advantage, but, like, give me a little bit. <laughs> no, I mean, well, first of all, you know, one thing I've learned, too, just with everything I've done is that you got to have a team. And, you know, the team that we put together with Butter, you know, give them – all the credit. I mean, I'm not a designer, you know, they're the creators behind it. I just kind of, I always say like, I'm the guy that, 
you know, has the vision and, and, and allows them to be creative. Shout um, out to the team at Butter ATL. You guys are doing your thing. Yeah. You know, and again, like you can't, you know, that you can't do it without a good team. And, you can't, and, and even with a team, what I've learned is you got to get really clear with your team up front. Um, I remember when we started Butter, one of the things that I actually really always attribute to our success is when we first started Butter, for the first two weeks, I made the team read a book. Mm. <laughs> um, and the book they read, it was called Radical Candor. And it's one of the best management books I've ever read in my life. And basically what it talks about is in order for you to be a high performing team, you have to be able to be radically candid with the people you work with. Uh-huh. And, you know, think about it like think about it like if you ever played sports, right? If you ever played sports and, you know, you're playing football, or you're playing basketball or baseball, like in the heat of competition, you might tell one of your teammates to get their ass over there. Right. Mm-hmm. A teammate doesn't stop and say, hey, don't talk to me like that. <laughs> because they yep. understand that you're you're really trying to put them in position to help make everybody successful. Right. And they don't they don't take that moment out of context and and take it as a personal offense when you're just being radically candid. Like you don't have you don't have a 20 minute conversation. All you might have to say is get your ass over there. And, and you know what? Because that's you- also, I mean, like, look at Kobe and a lot of these other guys like Magic Johnson. Yeah. That's why some of them are able to, like, pivot into business so well because, you know, the actual sport part of it, you know, being able to deal with that on, you know, in real time. Like, sports is, you know, definitely a good teacher for that. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah, and, and just being able – so I think, you know, with us, we I, I wanted the team to just take on an attitude of being able to be radically candid with each other from the get-go because – what I've also seen doing a lot of different businesses and just working with people is like people fall out. People get misunderstandings, like little things can turn into very big things very quickly. And I just was so, so, so adamant with the team that I will not let butter fall apart because somebody looked at you funny in a damn meeting. Mm -hmm. I just told him, I was like, this is not like, if we fall out, it is not going to be because of this. If it works, (laughs) it's not going to be because I sent an email and you you misinterpreted it the wrong way, and now you think I don't like you. It, now fuck all that shit. Uh, right. Like we're not gonna if we if this don't work, it's gonna be because the business didn't work and because we ran out of money. It's not gonna right. be because of internal. And so I think that's what's just allowed us to um, iterate and and do things faster. And because again, a lot of I know my ego is not in it, and I I, I asked my team to not have their egos in it that much. And I think that's just allowed us to just be really honest with ourselves about like what works and what what doesn't. And if it doesn't work, so what? Okay, we tried it and it didn't work. Keep on moving. But like nobody's willing to like take that to the grave and nobody's going to get offended. You know, I had a conversation this morning with somebody where, again, it could have been very easy to get offended. But if you know the intention behind it, then mm-hmm. you're not even going to take it there. And I think that's something that just... um with everything, I, I mean, I would honestly say aside from the creative, like that's the, one of the real secret sauces of butter is that we're just we operate at a, at a very high level because we can all talk to each other and communicate and and it doesn't get taken out of context that often. You know what I'm saying? Like we've right. got a really good communication in place. That's really important. So is, is that like in your values? Like, do you guys have value statements? I mean, yeah unofficially you know so like our, our our kind of our value statement is just like you know we want to um we want to you know we, we want to bring the improbable in people to life you know we want to be a place where the most growth-minded uh people in atlanta want to work at mm-hmm. and that's kind of it 
You know, I mean, like it's written down somewhere, but I mean, <laughs> you know, that's basically the version of it, right? Like we want you to be growth minded. Um, and we want to be a place where, again, like you can do things that even you didn't know that you could do. But mm. in order to do that, you just have to be willing to be coachable. You got to be willing to know, like, if you do something and maybe it ain't that hot and somebody mm. said something, you going to take it personal or are you going to go back and get better? Mm. And I know for me, I've just always been in a situation where I've had to take feedback. So I've just gotten used to it. It's not always fun, right. but it is what it is. And I just don't take it personally. And right. I think with our team, again, that's just a value that. I have definitely tried to make sure it's instilled in everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we just had a new person join the team, uh, you know, about a month ago. And, you know, when he joined the team, I was like, yo, so I'm about to send you this copy of Radical Candor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what's your, what's your mailing address? The book will be in the mail, right? Wow. And, like, let's talk about it. Like, when you read it, like, let's have a conversation because exactly. this is the way that we operate. Um, and it's really just because if you're trying to build something, I mean, you guys know that you're trying to build something like the, the odds are already against you anyway. So what I'm just trying to do is just mitigate any other issues around communication. And just like, again, if, if it's going to blow up, let's not make it because we couldn't, we were arguing internally. Let's make it because people just didn't want we had going on. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it sounds like relationship advice as well. <laughs> It is. Man, people need to read this book, Radical Candor, just about relationships because people, you know, they they fail to be straight with one another, man. And if they were, you know, if you were straight about your intentions from the beginning, we wouldn't have this problem, you know. Well, I think a lot of it also boils down to, like, people's egos. Like, some people are just too damn sensitive to work with. Let's just be honest about it. And, you know, it goes into relationships. It goes into business. Um, If you don't have like open communication, I think there's a really good book called Emotional Intelligence that talks about it as well. But you got to sit down at least routinely and talk about what's really going on and communicate, you know, consistently, you know. So, yeah, and I give give my team the opportunity to opt in. Like, you know, like I always say, butter is it's a fast moving thing. It's going to change like, you know, something might happen this morning that makes me want to change something in the business. I understand that's uncomfortable. I understand that could that could feel crazy sometimes. So I try to put a lot of intentionality around one, just constantly talking to the team, checking in on people one on, especially with everything going on right now. You know what I'm saying? Like it's much more important things happening in the world. But you know, like I even also kind of give them a chance to like re-opt in. Like every few months I'll literally ask them, I'll be like, hey, look, everything's been going great, you know, but question for you, like this is what's getting ready to happen. I just want to know, like, are you in? Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is like a real, like straight up, like, are you in? Like, this is what we're going to be doing. It's going to be crazy. We're going to have a couple of long nights. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I'm going to take care of everybody as much as I can. But like, here's my question. Like, are you in? And if you are in, what does in look like for you? And if you're not in, cool. Let's right. figure out what that could mean. But like, I give people the opportunity to re-enroll themselves in what we're trying to accomplish with butter every so often. Mm-hmm. Um, just because to your point, Ross, like egos and people's things change. And I think a lot of times people just feel like they're on like a, a roller coaster ride. Right. Um, and, and you actually are saying like, no, like I'm giving you a chance to get on the ride or get off the mm-hmm. ride. You know, right. Giving you a chance to adapt. Bill Belichick. Yeah. Look, wow. we had a game plan. It didn't work. Halftime. We're thrown out the window. You guys are going to be able to adapt or we're going to get beat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems it seems like a, I mean, really a, a a really great approach to how millennials work today versus mm-hmm. how other generations worked. You know, like we, 
you know, we often tap into a, a culture because of the purpose, right? Because of our passion for whatever it is that we're doing. And we want to be around like-minded people. But, you know, you see a lot of millennials tapping out after two years, boom, they go somewhere else. And three years, they go somewhere else. Well, you know, if you're having those tap in conversations, you know, to see if there's still alignment during that period, you know, it could, you know, alleviate a lot of problems. I mean, do you have, I mean, again, a good retention there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have, we've, everybody that's on the team um, is, is, is still, uh, has been on there since day one. You know what I'm saying? Like we've added, well, actually I take that back. We have had two people. Um, we have had two people like leave too, but that was just, again, I think there were some, um, some misalignments, you know what I'm saying in there. And that was just, those, again, those were conversations that we had. And I think one of the things that I've had to learn, even as a leader is those are some of the most difficult conversations I have, but you have to have them, you know, um, I was talking to a buddy of mine last week and he was saying how, you know, COVID has kind of become the great accelerator. Mm. Um, like everything that you're experiencing right now is just being accelerated because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so if you've got somebody on your team that's not pulling their weight and you weren't going to fire them for another eight months, like you're probably going to feel it in like the next month that you should go ahead and make that move. Yeah. And I think that's what you have to do is like as, as a person that runs a business, like we want to have these radically candid conversations Because one, if anybody's getting ready to get fired, like I hope that it's not a surprise Hopefully we've been having conversations to talk about it and try to like mitigate it and fix it. And, or hopefully like the business just hasn't like, hasn't just like shifted in that manner to where I have to just make a decision. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I try to, you're, you're 100% right. And it's a different way of managing. One of the things that radical candor also talks about that was really a new thought for me was that everybody that's good at doing something is not also a good leader. And I think that's where a lot of businesses fail. Like if you think about a business, if you're very like, say you're a great designer, like the only way for you to move up in that company is to become a senior designer. But then if you're a senior designer, now you got to manage people. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe I was a really good designer, but I might not be a good manager. All of a sudden, now everybody's like, oh man, he's falling off. Well, he's not falling off. You're making him do something that he's not really good at. So what we, what I learned is, you have to give people even the option of are you a are you a leader are you a manager or are you an individual contributor mm -hmm. like maybe you don't want to manage people and i think that's where a lot of large corporations fail and lose people is that they get really good really smart people but the only way those people can move up in their career they can only way they can make more money only way they can do more is by taking on management responsibilities right. and everybody's not a manager that's not you you might have a great skill set, but it doesn't translate into managing other people. Yeah. Really, man. It, like managing other people is a skill set in and of itself. You know, yeah. outside of that, even managing projects as a project manager, that is a skill set. You know, so just because I was great at executing, you know, within the project management plan doesn't mean that I'm going to also be good at holding people accountable and making sure that people stay on timelines. Like, man, it's a, like, I see that on the sales side of things. You know, when I was in sales, it was one of those type of things. Like you would see somebody that was killing it every single month, man, they putting up numbers and then they move them up into management. Like, Hey, we need to duplicate this person. Well, that person doesn't know how to train other people to be like them. No. Right. They have no, no man, clue. Hard, man. Like I was something like, my mom would always tell me when I was growing up because she was a manager. She would be like, 
don't if you ain't, if you don't have to don't manage people <laughs> and i never really got it until i started dealing with it because managing people is hard because mm-hmm. people are people and people have motives they have things going on in their lives and we're not in a world anymore where you can just tell a person compartmentalize everything that's going on in your life get this done yeah. like people are bringing their whole selves to work yeah. and i think as a manager that means you just have to evolve the way that you think about managing people you know what i'm saying it, it it's very relational. Um, we talk about we talk about on this show quite a bit uh, what we call the B force because believe behave become, and we really believe that you know it's from an individual level, right? Everybody comes into a, a business opportunity and they have a reason. They have a because, you know, and that's that's the reason why they they acted. And usually it's related to a problem or some sort, you know, some need that they have. And then you have the beliefs. Those are their values, what they think is true, not true, so on and so forth. And then from there, you have their behaviors, which are their beliefs in action and then what they want to become. So from a business standpoint, if you align that with the company's purpose, why does that company exist? What was the purpose of the company? And then from there, you know, what are the the values of the company? You know, do the, they align with the beliefs of the person? When those things are misaligned, man, often people are like, you know, bailing out. You know, they're feeling like the company lacks integrity or, you know, maybe the person lacks integrity and it doesn't align with the company's, you know, values. Well, there's a break somewhere. You know, and then from there, the the behaviors and the mission, those things have to line up. And then, you know, when I hear your vision for your your company, the vision for Butter Butter ATL, well, is who I want to become. Do I fit there? Right. Right. Or or, or is my ego too big? Or do I see myself running my own business? Do I see can I find room for my vi- my personal vision inside of the corporate vision? Yeah. And it's cool. Like, I mean, I think that's a conversation that that managers and leaders should have with their team. Right. Like, I mean, you know, this is a reciprocal relationship. You know, hopefully, you know, your goal isn't to, you know, knock me off the top or, you know what I mean? Like, like, because you got to do what you got to do. But I want people that that want to, you know, yeah, they they should find ways to be aligned. Um, They should find ways just tying to what we're doing because they need to buy in. And, you know, you spend a lot of time, you know, working and just being around people. You might as well, uh, you know, be doing it with people that you enjoy being around. You know what I'm saying? Agree. So you guys really uh, capitalize off of social media. Um, where do you see social media going next? Oh man, that's a that's a that's a that's a big question, man. I mean, I think it's you know I, you know so this is the thing I'll say again because I watch uh, financial markets um, uh, all the time. Like I think. Uh, it's hard to say where social media is going, but I, I definitely know it's um, it's not going anywhere. Uh, when I look at uh, like it was funny yesterday, Snapchat's like stock went through the roof, and I've been telling people this around. I've been telling people this for months. Like Snapchat ain't going nowhere anytime soon, and I know people don't realize that, but because of the way when you really understand how people are using these platforms, like for a lot of people, Snapchat is their wallet, it's their phone, it's so many things. And its value wasn't always reflected. And like all of a sudden, just yesterday, people started noticing for the first time. So, um, you know, I think in general, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, social media is going to be around. Like I'm, I'm, I've been using this new app called Clubhouse a lot lately. Hmm. It's a uh, audio based app. I mean, that's kind of interesting because everything does seem very, you know, cyclical. Like um, Clubhouse is basically like audio only chat rooms. 
and again, you know, when you think about it, they're basically stripping away all the extra stuff, right? Like all you can do to drive an audience with that is use your voice. There's no images, there's no links, there's no nothing, there's no hashtags. And so what I see is um, over time, more networks and just more like social media platforms, they kind of solve a very specific problem. Right. Because I don't think that people have realized yet that the internet is is a one-to-one medium. It's not a one-to-many medium. Like we think that the only way that you can have room on the internet to be successful is if it's by launching the next Facebook. Mm-hmm. I would argue to say there's 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 two things. There's what they call the law of a thousand and the law of one hundred, or the law of a thousand true fans. Any brand that is able to monetize a core fandom of a thousand people on a regular basis can essentially sustain itself. So when you really think about it like that, wow. like if you can get a thousand people to pay you ten dollars a month. You know, like if you get a thousand people that care about your brand that much, like you can, well, that's a hundred thousand dollar year business. You know what I'm saying? Right. If you get a thousand people to pay you, if you get a hundred people to pay you a thousand dollars a month, that's a hundred thousand dollar year business. And I think we got to start asking yourself those kind of questions too is like, what is the business that might only serve a hundred people, but they'll pay me a thousand bucks a month? Like it's still business. You it know is. what I'm saying? Like I think that's where social media is going to be going over time. I think that that's powerful like if you didn't really get that you know really take a take a look at that law you say the law of a thousand yeah it's called a thousand true fans like the, i can't remember the guy that originally wrote it but it was a couple of years ago and then there's another version of it called like the true 100 but yeah it's called the law of a thousand fans like any brand like think about it any brand any individual because i mean like how much even if you're an individual like how much do you really need to sustain yourself mm-hmm. if you had a thousand people that would pay five bucks a month for you to have a, a website about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's sixty grand a year. Mm-hmm. Period. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so uh, social networks like Patron, for instance, and OnlyFans, yeah. they're, like they're really taking advantage of that particular concept, right? OnlyFans is OnlyFans, even though it's the content on it is crazy. They're <laughs> the exact example of you can have micro networks of people that want to specifically subscribe or follow people for a monthly fee. Mm. All they're saying is it's in a certain category and everybody knows that porn leads technology and porn drives all this stuff. A lot of the technology that we use right now is only derived because the porn industry figured it out first. Yeah. Like all of the the exchanges and all of that kind of stuff, like video streaming, everything. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so your exact point, right? Like you, you, I think you'll see these over time. And I think that's what, I think that's what people have to like think of is like, everybody's not going to build the next Facebook. And that's cool. Like I used to think like that. The biggest thing I took away when I graduated from tech and got my MBA was business is business. I'm just as happy starting a lawn mowing company, you know, that'll make me five grand a month as I am with starting like a technology company. And I mm-hmm. think when you kind of, again, you take your ego out of it, and you ask yourself, what can I do? What can I do to build an audience of a thousand people that I can monetize against and that will support my business? And even even in them, when you think about the thousand, so here's the next trick, right? So if you have a thousand people, you assume that uh, 90% of them rock with you because they just uh, rock with you. Like they just appreciate what you do. The other 10%, they rock with you because they want to be you. And that other 10% is those are the ones that you can actually charge a real premium to. So this is what I mean. Mm -hmm. If you have a thousand fans, 90% of them will buy your t-shirts, your merch, your stickers, all that stuff that supports you. 
Mm -hmm. The other 10%, they want a course or a program to show how can they become who you are. Higher level. Period. That's the formula. That's the formula. Mm, Absolutely. Interesting. You know, I mean, what we, we kind of, at four game changers, we recognize that uh, particular aspect, you know. So as a part of our formula, we wanted to create a community specifically for uh, black entrepreneurs to have, um, again, those those audiences, those uh, individuals, those up and coming entrepreneurs ready um, to find their specific, I would say, uh, prototype. You know, so if say, for instance, we have somebody that comes in, that's a box manufacturer, you know, they're an MBE. They learned how to get big contracts and somebody else wants to learn that particular lane. You know, we want to help connect those two groups of people. Yeah. You know, so when they launch like right now, if you launch a book today, you have to go out launch that book and you're launching that book to, you know, you have to spend a crazy amount of money on PR, then go on Facebook. And then, well, if there's already a willing and ready and willing audience for that particular type of content, shoot, man, mm-hmm. that's where you would want to go. That's who you would want to connect to. So like in terms of micro influencers and whatnot, I mean, I see Facebook has made a real big pivot into that market right now as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. And again, like it's, a, it's, it's, it's not about tonnage. It's about small groups of interested people. And I've been saying this for years. Like people just thought I was crazy, but I've been telling people this for years. Like you don't need, you don't need everybody. You don't want everybody. You know, I, I had this, I've had this conversation with, you know, some folks when I was launching butter. Cause everybody's like, Oh, what if you make butter a national platform? And what if you do this? And I'm like, I don't need to though. Like I don't need to build you know, another Buzzfeed to be successful. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, I understand that that's possible and that might be a billion dollar company. Maybe I don't want to run a billion dollar company. Maybe I still want to retain part of my soul in my <laughs> personal life. Maybe I want to build a business that helps supports that. Mm-hmm. But like, I think, again, I think when you just really, again, you, you take a step back, you just realize that like, you know, all you need to do is build a business that works. And I think again, like when you, when you figure that out, you'll realize that you don't need as many people as you think you need to be successful and sustain yourself. There are definitely ways to do it where you can be smart. You can do things you enjoy and you can build, maybe you want to build a lifestyle business. Like maybe you're already making good money. You just like, you know what, if I could. Build me something that makes me an extra 10 grand a year. I'd be half a million dollar company. Like people have completely romanticized entrepreneurship and it's a joke because entrepreneurship is tough. You know what I'm saying? And like, it ain't built for everybody, but people should definitely be thinking about um, just again, ways they can just, you know, be creative and ways they can just sustain themselves. But like the, 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 a lot, too many people think the only way they can be successful is they, if they run like a, a hundred million dollar a year company. And that's just completely, completely false. You know, mm. and that's another powerful sentiment, you know, man. So we're, we're about at our time uh, now, man. And man, I really appreciate you coming out. It, like it's, I, I feel we like we just kind of scra- yeah. I feel like we just scratched the surface on what we can really dive into. You know, I definitely want to be respectful of your time and everything. I know you told us you had a hard stop. Um, so, man, thanks again for sharing your wisdom with us, your knowledge with us. I, I, man, I hope all of the the viewers out there, all of the up and coming entrepreneurs, the game changers, you guys got a glimpse into what a a, a luminary, a game changer like 
this is how he thinks. You know, this is why he moves the way he moves and why he's bringing in the checks that he's bringing in and why his team loves him. So, you know, tap in, man. We're going to have another great show for you next week. Uh, Ross, you got something for him? And, yeah, to your point, uh, part two, we have to discuss, you know, when you took over uh, Butter, I think within two months you had six-figure checks coming in. So you guys make sure to check out Brandon Butler part two because he's going to explain how he was able to do that. So, Brandon, uh, again, man, let's just tap in. How do do people tap into the Butter ATL uh, community? Yeah, I mean, the simplest way is just, you know, go to butteratl.com. Um, you know, all of our all of our stuff is kind of right there. If you go to butteratl.com, uh, hold on, somebody sees somebody call me on Slack already, man. They're trying to get me. Um, <laughs> it's that time. Yeah, go to butteratl.com and sign up. Like, all of the information is, is right there. Uh, we have a daily email newsletter called The Churn they can sign up for. You know, once you get on Butter, you'll see all the rest of our content. You'll see, uh, you know, access to our social media. Everybody knows us from Instagram, but I always say we're, we are not an Instagram page. We are a media company. You know, I got a full time, a full time staff. Everybody on my team got, uh, benefits and 401ks and it ain't just to make Instagram posts. There we go. You know? And so like, we're, we're trying to build this thing into a real company and media company is going to be around here and be sustainable. Um, you know, congrats to folks like y'all and what you're doing to help spread the words. People need to like hear this kind of stuff and know that these, platforms like what y'all are building and like we're trying to build exists so yeah man um you know we're easy to find if, if all else fails just go on google and type in butter atl and all the stuff like ross said will pop up church butter atl <laughs> ross how do they find us um if you go on instagram and uh, search for the number four underscore game changers you'll be able to follow us there as well as if you go to four gamechangers.com there it is. Brandon, I appreciate you uh, getting on with us this morning. And, man, it was an awesome show, man. I appreciate it a whole lot, man. Hey, man, appreciate it, man. Let's do this again. Again, you know, it's a little crazy right now. But, yeah, I appreciate what y'all are doing. Happy to come back and, and uh, you know, continue the conversation, man. It's all good. There it is. Appreciate it, bro. All right, man. Y'all take it easy now. All right. Later.